the very roots of eating, of negativity and singularity, including the ultimate form of singularity, which is This is the typical violence of information. It's violent because what happens there is a murder of the real, the vanishing point of reality. Let's not have a misunderstanding here. Welcome to Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour. This is Cooper Cherry. Uh, we are we are sponsored by the uh, Institute for let's see, it's be advanced uh, semiotics. But uh, nice. doing another movie podcast with with my boy Nick at hey. Stellar Boar. Hello, everyone. Welcome. And so today we're looking at uh, Alejandro Iñárritu's uh, 2010 film, Beautiful. Yeah, I, uh, this is this is a movie. Um, I had never seen, but I, it, it was just one of those ones that was floating around in the background just because of who Inaritu and, um, and who Bardem are, I suppose. Had you seen any of his other movies? I did see Birdman, actually. That was the first movie I saw when I moved to Texas. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it, Birdman wasn't a, hu- like a huge favorite, but there were parts of it that I thought were really, really cool. Gotcha. So, And that's the only one? Yes, to the best. Yeah, to the best of my knowledge. Gotcha. So let's see. I've seen Amores Perros. I've seen Beautiful. I've seen Birdman. I've seen Twenty One Grams. Mm. I haven't seen Babel. I think that's the only one. Oh yeah, yeah. Revenant, like, of course, I saw Revenant, that. Too. Yeah, Revenant and Babel are the, the two other big ones that I knew of besides Beautiful. Uh, but a little, just some of the background on the film. Uh, Inyaritu wrote this screenplay himself. Huh. Uh, it was based on a story he wrote, and then, of course, our stars are Javier Bardem, Maricel Alvarez, and Hannah. Uh, let's see. This is I'm going to butcher this last name. It's something <laughs> like Boucher, but I'm I'm guessing. Um, it was shot by Rodrigo Prieto, who had done he'd been a cinematographer on, I think, most of uh, Inarritu's films up until this point, and I think even I, I think it was. Birdman is the first film where he started working with uh, El Chivo. He actually also shot um, Silence by Scorsese, which I really like. Um, that That's the period piece where Portuguese missionaries go to Japan and they're J- during Japan's isolationist period when they were incredibly xenophobic. And, and oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, actually that movie looks really pretty too and not similar to Beautiful, which is, displays some interest in range in his part. Um, some more notes here. So it Grossed uh, 5.1 million in North America, 19.6 million overseas, worldwide total of 24.7 million against a production budget of 25 million. Interesting. Yeah, pretty yeah. crazy that this movie lost money. Yeah, I would not have <laughs> guessed that. I, I wonder where all that money went into the production because um, it doesn't on, on the on the face of it, I guess it doesn't look like it's that expensive. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, let's see. So this is 2010. Bardem had become a household sure. name with sure. No Country, but he probably wasn't drawing huge, huge money. Yeah, maybe. Um, maybe just like shooting on location in is it Madrid or no? It was Barcelona. Barcelona, yeah, Barcelona. Maybe. And they they do have like a lot of international actors. I don't know if like just bringing people in or something. I don't know. 
Yeah. So actually something really interesting is the, like the African immigrants from Senegal were yeah. actually, they were legit like Senegalese. Interesting. That's cool. And, um, <laughs> People, yeah. Maybe that was part of it. And maybe I guess some of like the special effects with the, the interest and stuff that we'll get into, like the, the stuff, the mirrors and stuff. Oh, that's a good call out. Um, so yeah, before we jump in, cause I'll usually do like, I'll mm-hmm. do first, you know, look at acting, cinematography, um, writing miscellaneous stuff and then kind of finish up on themes. But before we kind of jump into that rubric, what was your overall kind of take on the film? Um, I liked it. I, I don't know if I like it as much as you do. Um, I'm glad I saw it in Rito. Like I was saying, the only point of reference I had was Birdman. Um, I felt kind of the similarly to Birdman as I did with this. There were individual things in it that I liked. I don't know if it added up to something that became more of the sum of its parts, um, but it also makes me more willing to see more of his stuff more than Birdman did. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think definitely see Amores Perros. Mm. That one is, I don't know. There, It's sort of similar in a way, like a lot of the stylistic points were kind of similar. It's a relentlessly bleak and, and dark film. Yeah as well but uh i don't know that much i did like about it <laughs> yeah. like the bleakness and the, the utter utter nihilism of everything um but it did have a lot of similarities both like in in terms of the style a lot of handheld very frenetically paced editing and handheld shots mm. that was one thing that really stood out to me this time especially like in some of the early scenes where they're like at the dinner table yes and stuff and the like fucking cameras like going crazy and the cuts are crazy and it was like whoa this is felt really weird for and even family having dinner and even the um the magical realism aspects were or another thing that was common to to birdman as well um like, like using these very overt well subtle but obviously overt i guess fantasy fantasy aspects that can be easily interpreted as oh this is just the manifestation of a character's mind but it has that sense of magical realism that it it could be real at the same time so i think largely and this will kind of segue us into the acting i mean bardem yes absolutely is the centerpiece of the film and for good reason Mm -hmm. he's absolutely fantastic uh and i watched a little they had a special feature on the on the blu-ray that was funny because this came out in like 2010 and he had like uh i forget what they were called that little handheld recorders that were like the size of a like a cigarette lighter almost Mm -hmm. i forget if it was like a zoom or not a gopro not a um no no it was even before this was before gopros were even a thing yeah i think it was like a flip yeah something like that my my uh my my co-host on my podcast proletarian contrarian lewis would be mad at me if i didn't mention we we, <laughs> we shot some student stuff on his on okay, his gotcha. flip uh, his flip uh, camera yeah yeah so he in your has got this little i guess documentary thing he shot it was like a lot of kind of screen test camera tests and little bits and pieces here and there um but that was one thing that he mentioned is okay bardem has like this like he's he's capable of telling all the stories that you could think of just because I guess he's got just tremendous range and like, yeah. And like the, the subtleties of the way his face moves. Yeah. Um, I he, think he's very expressive. He really sold a lot of the kind of both physical and mental anguish. Yeah. The, the only thing um, I, I really know Bardem from 
like, like I, I know he's been in a bunch of stuff, but the only, the only real strong connection in my mind so far is no country. Um, which is just like as diametrically opposed to this right. performance as you can yeah. get. And it, it, it does showcase that range very well. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he feels really broken and in pain throughout this entire movie. And you, you really feel, yeah, for him. that's pretty much the whole, yeah, that's <laughs> the whole point, I guess. It's, yeah. But yeah, he, he sells the hell out of it and it's believable. It's, it's extremely believable. Total degradation. Um, I'll just call it a, a couple of scenes, or really, mainly just one scene. It was the dinner scene with his ex-wife, or presumably ex-wife. Yeah. His anger plays like so intensely, like she's got her foot up yes. on the table, and I yes. think she's smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like she leaves, and he kind of confronts her, and like she's yes. she's totally just devastated too, which was also the actress. I forget forget what her name is. The actress's name is um I think Marcel Alvarez. Okay. Um yeah, she and she's I, I really liked her. She Yeah, um, she was really good. She she the character clearly has like this this past with addiction and past with um being unfaithful and wanting to party, but also feeling the responsibility of her kids and she felt so torn and very like and, and pulled in a bunch of different directions and um she had like this fragile optimism yeah. and it um when it shatters, it shatters hard. And you could feel it build up to that. It was, it was very well done. Yeah. And that scene, and then he, you know, she like kind of runs off mm-hmm. and then he tracks her down on the street yeah. and she's like, yes. got the tears in her eyes. And then she's like, oh, do, do you have any money? Yeah. By the way, do you have <laughs> yes. any money? Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think in the beginning too, they, they allude to that Bardem's character, um, Uxbal had had a history with drugs cause he, he taps and finds a vein himself and he's able oh, to yeah. stick himself in the, yeah, that's the, true. Um, when the nurse is, is looking for his vein. And I, I think the implications, like the two of them used to shoot up together. Um, and, and she still is. Makes sense. So the, like I was saying too, in terms of actors, a lot of the Senegalese refugees were like literally from Senegal. And uh, the main one that he goes to and like visits him at his home. I don't know if you remember that at all. Yeah, the um the guy it, it's it's like his his main buddy yeah. in the Senegalese contingent. Yeah, because they're basically what they're selling bootleg knockoff yeah. purses and Chanel bags, bags and shit on yeah. the street, right? So and they also do mention they're they're pushing dope as well. So that guy that he was le- legit from Senegal. He was like living at a squat there in Barcelona, like yeah. with fifteen other people. Like that was damn legit real. And then his, I guess his wife. Um, Ij was a character, her name? Uh, yeah. yeah I, Ij. So she actually, during the production of the film, there was some issue with her visa and she was going to wind up getting deported. So, so appropriate. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so it, I guess Inuritu pulled some strings basically and wound up getting her uh, visa. Damn. But, <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that cool, I guess, but like that's, yeah. that's very. It's very on the nose, like for, right. we're in the, a lot of what happens in the movie. So she had to get like flown out to Senegal and everything to go pick it up and Damn. then come back and, and work on the film, which is there's pretty some, crazy. There's some of that production money, I guess. Yeah. Um, let's see. I don't know. It's it's hard to draw out anything else because everything is so centered on Bardem and his character. His his kids were not awful. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to like damn them with faint praise or anything, but it like child actors are especially unknown child actors are notoriously hard to, yeah. to work with. But um, like they're, they're good with what they're given. Um, they're, and what they're given is good. 
Um, so, so Barnum has two children. He has a, a younger daughter who's like eight or nine and he has She's a son, Anna, I believe Anna, yeah, Anna, and he has a son, um, Mateo, who is, uh, five or six and yeah, they're, they're good. They don't like, they're not like doing child acting. They're just like, it's, it's very naturalistic as befits the rest of the, the rest of the cast. Inarichu did say that that was a real challenge working, working with the kids was the most <laughs> probably challenging part of the film. I believe it. But yeah, I don't. I'm trying to think of other moments in the film other than Bardem just absolutely crushing it. What was really interesting was the character, um, like his mentor character, that 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 the older, older woman. Older woman. Um, she was interesting because she was so segregated from the rest of yeah, the events, true. and um, she she plays it appropriately, like calm and 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 approachable, but it's very like. I don't want to say it feels like a different movie, but it, it it does feel like, oh, this is deliberately kept isolated from the rest of his stressful life. And um, her acting kind of played into that because he doesn't change during those scenes. Kind of reminded me a little bit for some reason of uh, like the the Oracle in the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> yes. For some reason. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because like he goes into I guess her house. the kitchen. Yeah. They have a conversation. He makes her tea. He, she makes him tea or whatever. And uh, I guess there's the um, also the the Chinese businessman. Um, who, so that's, so I, I don't know like their relationship, but like, they, like they knew each other in China before they came over to some degree. And then once they started to get into, um, dealing with Uxbal, they formed some kind of relationship. Um, and I, I appreciated how, again, naturalistic and just matter of fact, the, the homosexuality was portrayed. It was, yeah. and, and, and they played it well, they played it just like low key and, and normal. It, it was just another part of their human desire. Um, yeah, and in, in, in the performances of, I think one of the actors was, uh, Luo, Luo Jin. Um, I forget, I don't know who the other, the other actor was, but they, they played it very well. Yeah. You could tell on the main, I forget the, the actual guy that was running the sweatshop production. Like basically that, yeah, it was like a basement warehouse sweatshop where they're actually producing the bags mm-hmm. that Uxbal is having his crew sell on the streets. And I know this is dipping into themes a little bit early, but it just has to be mentioned how it's so appropriate that these two separate um, immigrant groups in in Spain are like doing the jobs that no one else wants to do, and they're pitted against each other, even though they really have no they have no they have no beef with each other, but it, it's imposed on them by their circumstances. Yeah. So presumably, I'm thinking, and I didn't do enough research back into the actual production of the film, but obviously, if it's getting released in 2010 mm-hmm. probably largely getting shot in 2009 2008 so the the uh, financial crisis globally is happening at this time and so i wonder how much that plays a role yeah i'm doing brief uh research just glancing at wikipedia i don't really see a time a time frame for when it was made but i mean it, it would be made in like yeah it would be on the, everyone's minds as they were making this movie for sure and that's kind of one aspect too that I think is very similar between this movie and and uh, Amores Perros is so in Amores Perros we're getting this very similar kind of gritty uh, fast paced experience of Mexico City in this film we're getting kind of the same thing but for Barcelona mm-hmm. interesting and there's that connection with Mexico from Uxbal's father who had fled from Franco Franco Spain. And he dies immediately in Mexico. And there's kind of like that abortive attempt to move to the new world from from the ancestral homeland. But it 
it just comes to not as Uxbaugh's life kind of does. Um, any other acting kind of notes that mm. I'm going to bring to our attention? The guy who plays Uxbaugh's father in the, in the fantasy sequence was interesting. Um, he didn't have a very large part, but it, w- it wasn't like an important part. Um, that sequence in the, that sequence that bookends the film, like when Uxbaugh, I mean, spoiler, spoiler alert, when Uxbaugh goes to heaven and he meets his father or he has this, the dying dream of his father. Um, that guy was interesting. Um, he seemed kind of like cryptic and, and low-key malevolent a little bit, which which I thought was an interesting way to channel that, especially given like who, who he represented. But um, but yeah, that, that guy was good. Maybe it'd be a good time actually to talk about the, uh, I don't know, something about that sound effect. Yes. The kind of wind, the wind sound that he makes, that like cracking kind yes. of... That was good. That was it. Nice. That was that was good. Yeah, he he says like, oh, the do you know what the wind? Do you know what the ocean sounds like? Do you know what the window or the ocean sounds like? And he he does the sounds that Coop just made. Um, the sound design in general in this movie was one of the best aspects. Um, there were a couple sequences where um, actors would do something like hug someone else or like beat their chest in frustration, and they would actually strike the the mics that they were wearing. And it, it's it's that kind of like interplay of 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 presenting the okay so we're obviously holding a camera we're and it's shaking a little bit we're obviously making the sound with the like the, the scuffles that you pick up on the mic and um it gives it almost like a quality like a play it's kind of like this brechtian um awareness of the the things that make this up at the that make up this this movie this presentation um but it was, it was very effective it, it made those things harsher and it didn't it, it doesn't take you out of it 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 integrates you into it more. Yeah, because I, I really didn't even notice that at all. <laughs> and this is probably the third or fourth, maybe fifth time I've seen the movie. Mm. One thing that I find just kind of like generally interesting, because, you know, cinematography is like a huge uh, interest of mine, or that's kind of something that I'm always drawn to or, or focusing on when it comes to films. And I'm noticing that like a lot of the movies that I've talked about have been heavily shot with handheld camera work like well what's another one besides beautiful um trying to think off the top of my head the thin red line okay was definitely one that had a lot of handheld work okay but uh what else uh what was that kubrick one the world war one um that you were talking about the other day oh that was that's paths of glory i'm thinking of that sequence in the trench that you were showing me is that i don't know if that was handheld or not oh i'm not even sure that's yeah. so old. that's so old that that was produced in the 50s so who knows right. that was probably <laughs> tracking uh but actually now that you mentioned that just off off the top of my head what's mm-hmm. funny is uh some watching that flip <laughs> flip oh, book or yeah, whatever the footage. of in your and uh it's showing the production of the film and i don't you might have you said you have some experience with doing kind of low budget shit and <laughs> very, it's funny because they have like i don't know every kind of guerrilla fil- filmmaker knows about using a wheelchair as a yes. dolly <laughs> yes. and they legit had a wheelchair dolly awesome. rig set up with like pvc pipe and shit that was pretty funny that's legit man that's that's, <laughs> that's great that's that's using yeah. using repurposing things that's awesome oh, yeah uh and so building on that they were it was really used a lot in that uh chase scene it's like whenever the cops are going to bust the uh the senegalese people that are selling the knockoff bags right they had like seven cameras set up Mm. one on like some up in the windows and like 
all kinds of different places, different types of cameras, handheld, dot, 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 going on, plus the wheelchair dolly to make, to make mm-hmm. that uh, scene happen. And Inarichi was talking about how like crazy it was to get that whole thing choreographed and, and figured out and how challenging that was. Yeah, I can imagine, because like that, that's one of... The- aside from a few establishing shots or just like mood shots of, of the cityscape. That's, I think that's one of the only times where like the camera is set at this high vantage point and looking down and it looks, it looks more like a traditional movie. Um, when the cops are chasing down the Senegalese merchants, um, like the entire rest of the movie is is shot in that handheld style. So it it was like an interesting contrast, but it, it made the, it made the chase seem more like, like encompassing in this environment. I was going to say also Possession was another film mm-hmm. that I've done okay. for the show that does a lot of handheld work. But that is a totally different. It's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to watch that one night because that the camera work in that yes. is... You, you've told me about that. I, I've, I've been meaning to, but... Um, we'll yeah, watch that, that together sometime. Hell yeah. Uh, there, another cinematography thing. Um, there's a lot of use of mirrors and mirrored surfaces. Um and and very subtly making the characters like their their ghosts or their spirits react to things and do things slightly before they do because like their their reflections will either like be on like a, a lag behind the real world action and um, the way they would frame these shots like the like the way they would frame these shots is really interesting like um, Bardem will do something right like he'll he'll be the the camera the camera will be focusing on Bardem. But there's like a mirror behind him on the wall and the way that the cameras, the way that the frame is like composed, you only see like a, a small corner of the mirror on the wall behind him. But if you look at that small corner on the, on the wall behind him, you can see like the ghost of the dead person he's talking to. And it's very eerie because like it's like this small, tiny window yeah. into the afterlife. Now, it's good. Good call out on the mirror stuff. I didn't. I actually it's not something I noticed mm. straight away. Now, I did notice the dead folks would be like up on the ceiling that was eerie as hell that was good i like that a lot um actually on that note what do you think is the significance too because in his bedroom he has the moths or the Mm. butterflies on the ceiling um like i'm wondering if those are if that's what the tie-in is there or is that just i think that was I, I interpreted that uh, the symbolic connection between that and his cancer, because as his cancer was meta- metastasizing and spreading, the, oh, so yeah. too were those yeah. with those butterflies, and that, that would be like a, this brutal inversion of like butterflies are typically seen as like these beautiful, happy symbols, but they're also very short lived and they're they're insects, and there's kind of that brutal twist on it when you have to deal with the reality of what they are. Um, and they do kind of. I think it starts out with just a couple, and then they spread. Kind of, they spread, and then at the end, when he when he does die, they're not they're there gone. anymore because yeah. like they're dead too. Um, there was another interesting animal um, symbol 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 that I picked up on. Uh, birds are often used to depict hopelessness. Um, you think of a bird, you think of like oh, a bird flying away free. That's like the traditional, most most basic way of looking at a, a, the bird as a symbol. Um, but there was one part. Actually, when when his dream opens, he sees he sees he sees a dead owl. Um, there are birds that are perched like pigeons that are standing on dead bodies that you'll see in the background every so often. Um, right before he finally breaks up with his, with his wife again, because he finds out that his wife like split the children up. There are these two flocks of birds wheeling above him, and they the, the two flocks like separate. And, oh like, yeah, now that I definitely remember. Yeah, they're like flapping around crazily, and it's just, it's just like small background things. But the the idea of like birds as 
harbingers of, of hopelessness is um was very appropriate for the for the tone of the movie yeah i wonder what that dead owl i couldn't quite put it together as far as what it was really kind of getting towards mm. uh, what are we th- what are owls owls are like typically wisdom wisdom and foresight and um prudence maybe um i don't know i, I think like because because the the dream or hallucination of his father says like an owl will spit up a hairball right before yeah. it dies and um, like what's that and don't don't wear your ponytail don't wear your long hair in a ponytail because you'll think you're a fox you'll think, they'll think you're a fox um yeah i don't know we'll we'll come back to that i don't know i'm wondering if that's like tar- on that note of like magical realism like i wonder if there's some tie to mm-hmm. maybe something in in like the spanish or mexican culture with foxes because i know like the kite yeah. i mean the coyote is a trickster figure but that's more like native american lore foxes are in um in, in european folklore like Re- reno the like reno the folklore the trickster fox who can like outwit enemies yeah i guess the idea of like a, a, a dead bird like being this abortive attempt to, to escape is what happened to his father um he he fled uh fascist spain but he he didn't live very long he he caught sickness and died in, in Mexico like a month after he landed. Um, but that snowy wood where mm. we see that exchange yeah. take place between the f- father and Nuxball, which is gorgeous. I'm wondering if that yeah. was like legit snow. <laughs> like th- these are the questions yeah. you have now after you've seen so many <laughs> fucking movies. Yeah. Like um, I could, I could see that being shot on location somewhere else because yeah. it was so brief and there, there was, there wasn't much to shooting it. Um, yeah. Just drinking the landscape. I, I I could see that. Um, so I'm just thinking back to uh, The Shining, and all of that was yes. all the snow was salt, which is true, which is <laughs> crazy looking, insane to think about. But um, yeah, I could I can also see it either way. I, I suppose that's a testament to the quality of fake snow that you can't tell if it, if right. it is fake. It reminded me too of uh, there's this opening to another Zulowski film on the Silver Globe and they're riding horses through like this super mm-hmm. deep snow and is, is it fake no it's definitely not fake sure. um but it was in kind of a very similar environment Intr- yeah yeah the they, they picked a good spot because it's just that there were so many trees and there were so many um i mean I, I assume the branches were higher up in the trees but like what we see it they just yeah call like straight columns of, of branchless trees and it was very striking it looked like purgatory like fittingly enough yeah yeah, for sure. Um, it even too reminded me. There's like a scene in the very first episode of Game of Thrones that's in a similar forest. Okay, trees similar to like a snowy area. I wonder if there's any actual like connection there. Probably mm-hmm. not. But um, well, this would be this or right around the same time Game of Thrones was. Yeah, if if not, yeah, kind of was. If not yeah. debuting, it's like being going under production a year later. Or so yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess we're, we're kind of next already knee deep in in the cinematography of the film um we already mentioned handheld was extremely prominent yeah Yeah. um one thing that i noticed and i commented to you on was how grainy the film was and i wasn't sure so like i've got a pretty 
large TV, like, and we're watching it, and it's like, <laughs> counting the probably, on Bardem's face, <laughs> probably too close for a TV this big, and it's like, hmm, is this grain like intentional, or, <laughs> or should we be sitting like another five feet back? Well, either, from the TV. Either way, it worked, right? Like yeah. it, death of the author. Like intentions be damned to to a certain degree, but like it, um, it's it certainly gave it more like a grindhouse feel, um. Like it felt like Taxi Driver, like it, it looked like Taxi Driver in some in some cases, um, which again, regardless of intention, I, th- I think definitely plays into the the tone that's that's being struck. Yeah, I wonder how the how do you find out like what grain the, film, sure. the movie was shot I'm on? I'm sure it's yeah. available somewhere. Like, um, I mean, I can't imagine like you you could find any film, but like bigger bigger films, especially productions like this, I'm sure it's available somewhere. Um. Some of my other favorite moments visually were there's one in particular where Expose on the subway and uh, his reflection is there in the yeah. on the window as he's kind of pondering. I think it might have been even immediately after he found out he had cancer yeah. or, or definitely. I mean, there's so much kind of tragedy that goes on <laughs> throughout the film. It's hard to nail it down to which like specific moment it was. But that was one that I really enjoyed. Um and I think in that moment, that was like he, he was also trying to find a suitable person to to gate jump, to like to to jump in through the subway without the fare. So like, even when he's like struggling with this introspection, he still has to be like he still has to be on. He still has to try to find a way to to survive. Um, so yeah, he he can't even like be safe. He can't even like enjoy the luxury of his own most private thoughts. He he always has to be on the lookout, be on the hustle, on the grind. There was um, a really cool. Um, I guess it wasn't an establishing shot. It was more just like a, like a pause between two scenes. Um, there are quite a few of them, just like of the of the uh, Barcelona skyline. Um, and there's one where you can see some cathedral in the background, and then right next to it, there's like this really gaudy and ugly all glass high rise. Um, and the camera focuses on that, and then there's a there's a um, a really bright uh, streetlight yeah, in yeah, the foreground, yeah. and then it switches the perspective, so the streetlight. The foreground is now in focus, um, and it was just like very a very striking sequence. And um, the sky, the color like the indigo color of the sky was, it set off against that light perfectly. Yeah, it was actually, it's Uxbol in that scene because I wrote in my notes there was a scene of him, and the street light. <laughs> um, not in that one. That that was like specifically just like a mood shot. But um, there there are a few where he's either just walking or just like beneath street lights, and it's so so lonely and so desolate. <laughs> The shots of the city at night, I think, were my favorite kind of mm-hmm. establishing shots. And it's funny that you mentioned that uh, that cathedral, which looks really weird. Like the architectural style is yeah really bizarre. Yeah. Um, so it was funny coincidence because earlier this week at work, someone had gone to Barcelona and had gone to that, <laughs> that very cathedral. same cathedral, Damn. which was really kind of a weird synergy. You'll see if you can get any photos from them or maybe I don't know if they took them. Yeah, uh, they were like somebody, one of the like C-suite type people. Oh, so yeah, whatever. Probably couldn't fucking get it, but maybe. That's interesting. Um, what else was cinematography? Yeah, it was super weird. It was like a chocolate. It's like this brown, weird colored. Yeah. Like, like it's made out of chocolate. It's, it's, the, it's the chocolate cathedral in the city of Barcelona. Um, another thing that was really interesting in terms of like the look of things, um, the cleanest environment in the whole movie besides the dream sequence was the morgue. It was, uh, it was it's like very cold in the way it's shot it's like they they really play up like the harsh lighting 
when Uxbal goes to see the corpse of his father. But it's like, I, I, I just thought that was, it, it was like fittingly ironic that like the house of the dead is like this antiseptic, really, really clean environment while everything else is like just falling apart. Um, one of the best shots or movements of the whole film was, I don't know if you remember this, but it's the camera kind of retreats from that. One of these establishing shots of Barcelona and it was nighttime or daytime. Mm-hmm. I don't recall, but it kind of pulls back from where we're getting a shot of the city and then it retreats like through the window and into the house and then like yes, starts so. to move around until, uh, Uxpo comes and sits down and For, starts it's to one have of the dinner scenes. Yeah. 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 That was really spectacular. That was that's really good. Um, and then going back to the 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 twin flocks of birds wheeling about above his head, um, the the cameraman does this thing where he kind of like circles Uxbal and he he gets like these huge shots of the sky and then the river and then the cityscape um, while never taking the focus off of Bardem, which was it it literally was like oh the not only are the birds like spinning above or on his head but the camera is too and like he's losing his mind at what what he's realizing about his ex wife. Maybe that's it when it comes to handheld. It's just like the the yeah. the shots that you can get, the dynamic elements like that. I love, I tend to like too, whenever you get a real dynamic shot of a camera kind of moving around mm-hmm. a character. And I just remember this, and I had this in my notes, the other um, really intense sequence of shots and, and just like the, the blocking and the, and the lighting for the for these scenes are the uh, the nightclub scene. Uh, it, it, it oh just, man, that was crazy! It feels so hellish, and it feels like so desperate and, and sweaty and gross, and like I, I've been in that environment before, and it's not pleasant. And it's like this: it, it, it was really the every, everything from like the lighting they chose to like the weird uh, costumes that everyone's kind of wearing in that scene. It, it's very like yeah, we've very, got boobs, butt cheeks, or there's butt cheeks made to look like boobs, and then and faces, heads, which yeah. Were uniboobs. Yeah, that, that was so creepy. That the, the, the strippers are wearing like fake nipples on the, on their ass, so it looks like their 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 butts look like boobs, and um, they're also wearing like this kind of like spaceballs f- flesh colored spaceballs helmet with like a one nipple on the top. It's it's it was so bizarre. It was so creepy. But yeah, that scene was was pretty dope. I like the yeah. colors and the just craziness the cuts and yeah. the, the jankiness of the the shakiness of the handheld um the bus ride home from that older lady i'll call her a witch maybe yeah no she <laughs> kind of short ser- she serves that function for reference uh there's like some sunbeams are coming through yeah. the the bus window and that was really fantastic um maybe number two shot wise that i love it's the the fucking picture on the on the blu-ray disc or if you even just like google beautiful it's that kind of profile shot of bardem mm, okay at night he's on that bridge and i yeah. i'm not sure if it's tails into that same scene where the birds are kind of mingling together or not but i don't think so because because i just think i remember the the sky in that scene it, it's it's bright it's it's like late afternoon it's not quite at nighttime yeah this is like a little bit it's like it's just getting dark um the city lights are just breathtaking yeah it's but it's literally like the cover 
it is, it is the same scene. I'm looking at it because like it, the, the scene is it's getting dark when the birds are doing that. But he that's the same scene. Okay, gotcha. I thought thought maybe so. And then uh, of course I mentioned the nightclub scene, which I thought looked fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in terms of look and cinematography, that covers pretty much all the ground that I had. Unless you had something else. No, I think that was everything. Um, I I generally. I don't want to say I don't like handheld camera work, but I'm, I'm just very initially skeptical of it just because yeah. it, it's really tough to do well. But the, the movie increasingly won me over with like more and more things like the the bird scene and the, the nightclub scene. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was definitely weird at first, I, like er, early on in the movie, whenever they're having dinner Yeah, and there was so much camera movement and so much cuts. And it was weird because like, the movie is pretty, you know what I mean? It's not really that fast paced. Yeah. Largely, it's a pretty slow kind of like yeah, sloggy kind of movie. Um, but <laughs> you got this like crazy frenetic pace to the editing and the camera movement. I guess if you want to get really like kind of artsy fartsy with it, you could say that's analogous to to the the feeling of when you live in poverty. Because like every day is, is this grind and you have to like, yeah. you have to just slog through week after week after week after month after year. But um, things happen quickly, and you have to like yeah. react to them quickly. It's it's a bit of a stretch, but I wonder too if it's just like a practic practicality of like okay, we're gonna have this very dour kind of sure intense scenery. Like if you do this in a more traditional kind of camera setup way, like establishing shots, medium, you know what I mean? Yeah. Dot dot dot, and and edit it all together. That it's gonna be like your pacing is gonna be so fucked. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I mean that's with 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 I think with productions like this, um, necessity informs choices just as much as like as much as artistic pre planning oh, yeah. does and but, accidents. I mean, yeah, let's be let's be honest. Yeah, but I mean that's the magic of cinema. Yeah. Like this this in in good movies more often than not, like this stuff works out for the better than if they didn't have these limitations. Sometimes those limitations are really what drives creativity. Absolutely, I, I'm a very that that's a well-known phrase but it's definitely I, I firmly agree with it i think to like just largely speaking when it comes to film that's like a big a big element to it i think is you know what i mean because you'll have somebody comes out they have their first movie is just incredible mm-hmm. and then as they like build on and on and on like they're they just become kind of complacent and it's like yeah. they lose something i'm thinking like christopher nolan yeah, it's a good Nolan, example. Um, the the biggest easiest the biggest easiest example is Star Wars. Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. Um, James Cameron to some degree, like have the, the oh yeah the limitations I mean, Terminator, of Terminator was, versus Avatar or something. It's yeah, like, right. So um, and then on to writing, like I said, Inuritu largely wrote this himself. Interesting. There's not a whole lot that really stands out. I think to me the most powerful and emotional scene, and I think just one that kind of knocks your <laughs> knocks you in the gut, is the death of all the immigrants. Yeah, yeah. which is just horrifying <laughs> and like brutally depressing. Yeah, um, I definitely i I saw this in the theater when it came out, and uh, I definitely cried. Yeah. Wow. At that it's, scene, that really was like, holy shit. And it's it's made all the worse because he genuinely like he he is out for himself, but he also cares for them because like yeah. that's why he buys them the heaters in the first place. It's like the 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 tension of like not knowing how much to get invested in these right. these people that are clearly vulnerable. 
Um, but yeah, no, it, it's it's horrifying. And because um, then he's no, he's even confessing that to the to the witch. He's like, you know, I I he's telling her all about it. And he's like, you know, I bought these to because I wanted to s- save money. Yeah. And it ends up I being, wanted to do something nice for them, but I also couldn't spend yeah, that much money. Exactly. Like, you know, it, it, it's a compromise that he was forced into that killed them. Basically, yeah. no, it's like. No good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, to the oh, so <laughs> to the, the nth fucking degree. To the max, and and his the same deal with his uh, Senegalese friend. Like he he was trying to like get like get him in on new jobs and new opportunities, but like that puts him at risk because the the fucking cops would come in every day and do their sweep. Um, and the, I do have a writing question for you. How do you read the ending? Did um the Senegalese friend's wife? I guess the other, the other Senegalese friend at this point, was she, did she come back to them or did she steal the money? No, I think she come, I think it's pretty clear that she comes back. Mm-hmm. I just don't. She does go to the subway terminal. Right. For sure. Yeah. But I, I don't know if that was him hallucinating, oh, yeah, him that, hallucinating or not. that. Um, I, I could, I could honestly see it either way. Yeah. Um, Wikipedia, I, I did read is, is pretty firm that she came back and so he yeah. can die in peace. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if it would be more tonally fitting if like that's just yeah, right. I think though they're like as relentlessly pessimistic as the film is. It there is like a lightness, or there is like I think there is some element of hope that he's yeah. trying to to get at. I I don't know if it really worked for me, but because I like a fucking yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. I don't know. To me, there's something cathartic about experiencing something tragic like this i don't know <laughs> yes. there's like it, there, there is there is <laughs> that, i mean that, that's why people write and watch this shit like that's it 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 gives you that um it's it's not it's not like a sense of like oh look how bad it is for other people but it's it's yeah it, it's kind of voyeuristic in a way but like it's voyeuristic in a way that you you've brushed up against these moments too yeah it's like if you can if you've experienced tragedy or if you've experienced death or you've experienced hardship or you see it, it's like, it's not as frightening because yeah, kind of like death, like, uh, you know, people talk about this experience whenever they take like DMT or something. And it's like total ego death. Well, if you've already died once, you're then you're not afraid of death. So right. there's some like cathartic element to, to tragedy. Yeah. I mean, kind of the horror um, genre is built off of like not showing you so much of the, the, the things that scare you it, it's like building up and it's the dread it's it's that, that's that's like oh, yeah. quote unquote like good horror does but like the this this kind of tragedy this these i guess tragedy is a genre like it's one of the original tragedy and comedy genres like it is showing you the after effects and it's in which i think humanizes them and and makes them more bearable yeah i think this is this would definitely be a challenging film to mm. uh, to most audiences. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe that's why it didn't do so well. Like yeah. It, right. It, it, it doesn't have like the Oscar bait sheen, like, like of that some kind of like tragic movies can have. Um, and I'm, I'm using Oscar bait like derisively here, but like it, it doesn't have that, which, which is good, which is definitely a point in its favor. Oh man. I had an, uh, so I do believe that uh, Javier Bardem did get an Oscar nomination. Yes, he did for best actor he in did. the movie, which was, I think, a first. Because uh, I, I should probably mention, the film was all in Spanish. Yeah, that's that's an important note. Um, 
I think there's a, a couple lines of background dialogue in, in like Mandarin and Senegalese just for those locations. For, probably even Catal- Catalonian. Yeah, that would make or sense. Catalan, I'm not sure actually what the... Yeah, but the 95% of the dialogue is, is just straight up Spanish. Um, yeah, that inter- the interplay of the different um, immigrants, the, the immigrants from different countries and the different languages they speak, there was an interesting line... Um, I think it's when Uxbell is talking to the guy that he pays to bribe the police who ends up not bribing the police because he's, he's a bastard. Um, he says, um, they're, they're discussing the, the Chinese immigrants. He says, oh, am, am I speaking Chinese? And the guy, the guy says no. And then he says, oh, learn to speak African. So just like the idea of like these different, the idea of like these different languages kind of clashing and, and represent being like, oh, the, the, the language of, of the the dispossessed um as an english-speaking person like the it, it was kind of like a third step removed from like a romance language for me which is more familiar spanish is more familiar to me than either uh, mandarin or, or senegalese would be so it was like the these people even like these people who are scrambling to live they even speak differently than where they're trying to live it's it, it was another subtextual thing that worked in that favor what do you think of as far as I think in terms of writing to the, the book ending of that yeah. scene, we kind of, we end the film ends where it starts in that snowy kind of wooded area with Uxbol and his father right. having their conversation and the, and also the, uh, his daughter asking him about the wedding band. Yes. And yes, then putting yes. it on. Um, I don't like that it bookended. I, I almost think it would be a lot stronger if it was just at the end. Um, I kind of get what, what he was going for because like they're identical scenes, but they're just shot. Like the camera position is just different. Like, like that's the only thing that's different about them. Um, for the ring scene in the opening, it's the, the camera, the perspective of the camera is down by where Bardem and his daughter would be looking up from in the closing version. It, the camera's up looking down at them, oh, but, nice. but yeah, but otherwise it's the same thing. So like, I, I like that he was trying to do that. Um, I just don't. I, I think it might have been stronger if it, if we only saw it at the end. This is why I like having you uh, do these movie podcasts because you <laughs> notice these little details that I'm. I just don't. Good. I'm so glad. It's good. It helps fill in the gap for sure. Nice. Uh, but yeah, I, I I kind of agree to to some extent. I think I think, uh, but I like those kind of endings. I like those endings that are like mm-hmm. it just kind of like stops. Yep. Yep. Oh no, the the ending sequence itself was good it's just i i think it was a little undercut by having already seen yeah, right the same thing or just i don't know it it feels a bit it can feel cliche i think to do the yeah. repetition yeah it definitely helps i think that like you're saying that he did slightly different camera angles makes it a little less cliche but yeah, it, 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 I appreciate that he was trying that different different camera perspective thing with the same scene. It's just I don't know how much it worked. Um, in regards to writing, there was one, there was another line that jumped out at me. Um, yeah, it's, it's when he's getting tested, um, when he's getting blood drawn. Um, no, it's after he gets blood drawn. He returns back to get his tests. And um, the doctor's like, oh, you have cancer. And, you're, and then Bartim's like protesting. He's like, oh, well, I, I wasn't fasting. Like, maybe that screwed up, screwed up the blood test. And the doctor said, fasting is just a formality. 
which is kind of sums up the class politics of the movie. Like the this like well off doctor telling this guy who who does fasts inadvertently, like he's forced into fasting to feed his family. He the idea like it, it was just like this really crystallized uh, line of dialogue. I think kind of yeah. captured everything by that. Um, any any other writing notes? <clears throat> um, I already mentioned the sim the my my interpretation of the symbolism of the birds. Um, oh, at, at the witch's house, there was a painting of a bird on the wall. Oh, nice! And um, this either. And the fact that it's like not a real bird, but it's a depiction of a bird. And she she already serves as kind of like this psychopomp figure, like this figure, this harbinger of his death, but a, a gentle one. Um, having a, a, a false bird. Car- if we if we carry the meaning of the bird to that, it it kind of fits her her role nicely. Um, just some miscellaneous stuff that I noticed in the film. Uh, one kind of random thing, of course, like I mentioned, or maybe I didn't mention this, but the film was pretty much entirely shot in Barcelona mm. and Catalonia, large, largely speaking, or what have you. Um, and so there was a Catalan flag flying over the police station. Yeah. Okay. When he walks out, because he gets arrested along with the Senegalese right. uh, immigrants that are selling the the swag merchandise right which i thought was interesting because there's a whole history of catalonia is in the kind of like southeastern portion of spain it's a very autonomous region and they've had like a history of right like it's a different language um there's been a lot of there was a lot of repression during franco's regime like you weren't allowed to speak catalan or interesting a lot of things like that so i'm wondering too is that an element of why his father was what head flight to mexico exactly oh for sure yeah yeah yeah. um yeah that's interesting and didn't they aren't they in the process of of separating well they have spain they they had a vote maybe in the last couple of years but it basically the federal government is like no we're not (laughs) no it's like that be like if texas tried to secede from from the u.s they'd be like no well i mean that's that's coming soon that's that's coming down the pipe um yeah okay that's that's interesting oh another i I guess this would be writing because it's like writing the the visuals um after bardem he several times he he goes pee and you can see his pee's just red because like he's peeing blood um there's it's also like gel like yeah consistency to it sometimes it It, just makes it really gross oh god it it is making me squirm when i'm (laughs) watching that um but yeah, there's a scene, I, th- I think it's when we first see him peeing blood, um, and immediately after it jumps to his brother, who's also hooking up with his wife, and his wife is kind of, Uxbal's wife, is she's kind of like, she's she's rolling or tripping or something, and she's also drinking wine, but she pours red wine onto the brother. And like that visual connection of like, oh, yeah. the, the red liquid ah. coming out as like this symbol of pain and despair and blood, and then just wine is like on this like goofy, sexy, topless scene. Nice. Nice parallel there. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic catch. Thanks. <laughs> Thank <laughs> that's you. really good. Uh, of course, the blood, the, ca- the Catholic thing. The, yeah. The, bl- the blood and the wine. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good, too. Um, but back to kind of this Catalonia issue, too. And right. so you have, I mean, the Spanish Civil War, huge thing. Yes. Um, yes. Which Catalonia was a big, you know, that's where a lot of that movement occurred and, and so forth. And so it's it's really interesting to have that kind of tie in, especially like having seen this movie well before I was, I think, more so of like of like an anarchist. Right. And so that's kind of a cool tie in. And um, along along those lines, I did notice 
at the hour and four minute and 17 second mark. <laughs> this is a really great image. You got it So down. yeah, I had to go back and I made a note when we watched it. I was like, <laughs> okay. go back and look at this because I saw there was a, a mural and it's this giant shark. Yes. There's a giant shark is effectively constructed out of what looks to be like cash, like bills, like notes. Yeah. And uh, there's a, a man like presumably yeah. like a homeless guy because he's got this like uh, not a shopping cart, but it's he's got a cart. And right. It's basically like a, a junk cart like you might see a street person have. Yeah. But then also above that man is this you're, there's a hammer and sickle. And there's some words that Whoa. are like fading off of the wall. And it's like, there's, it's, so you have the hammer and sickle and then it says, um, it says PCC, but then the rest of the paint is, it's so old. Like it's, it's undecipherable as to, as to what that is, but you should screenshot that. And yeah. Post I, that no, I image. did. Okay, I absolutely nice. will. We'll put that in the show notes and, and you know, on the Twitter feed and what have you, cause it, yeah. it's really good even without like the communist imagery to it just like the giant shark made out of money is fucking great attacking the guy but it's like it's swallowing the communist kind of imagery i'll, yes. I'll show i'll show it to you once we wrap up the podcast no, that, that's i i made a mention of that money shark but I, I didn't get that deep into it I don't, I don't think i caught even the hammer and sickle there but that's i yeah i was like oh shit i yes. definitely see this um which is interesting because the the big anarchist groups in the Spanish Civil War, it was like the CNT mm -hmm. and I believe the FEI. So I was, I'll have to look up and see what this PCC group was. And another interesting choice in terms of writing the story, um, to set it in Barcelona specifically, like I don't know if Enrique has personal connection with this history, with the city specifically, but like the conception of Barcelona, it's like the the sexy, fun spring break town. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, which, like it, it's it's economy is like very much influenced by tourism, and we see a little bit of that. Like we see um, like a bunch of like white people who look more Americanized or look more like Westernized um, browsing the the, the wares of the Senegalese merchants. Um, so there's like little touches of that. Um, but the just when you told me that it was Barcelona, not Madrid, because just I assumed it was Madrid. Um, yeah, that, that that's a deliberate choice, I think. Yeah, and so they, as well, the Senegalese were set up in front of a lot of high-end shops. Yeah. And they even mentioned that, too, because I know that I saw, like, uh, there's an Hermenegildo Zenia, which is, like, an Italian suit maker mm. store, for sure. I saw that. Um, but there's a bit of dialogue, too, where he, they mention, you know, like, he's like, you guys, sh you, you know, Ushbal is trying to tell him, you, you guys can't be up here selling and he's like, well, no one buys in whatever area that they can actually sell at yeah, without the cops, you know, providing the heat. Yeah, I mean, the cops presumably heavily, heavily patrol the the um, the bougier areas where, where tourists would go in, in Madrid. Um, that, that totally makes sense with the our politics and the politics of the movie, such as they such as they were presented. Um, moving on to themes, unless there's something just. No, I think... Kind of randomly that you want to discuss? No, I think that's good. Um, thematically, we discussed magical realism a little bit, and I think this is where he's kind of first dipping his toes into that well to be... Because I think, actually, Birdman was this film that followed this. Yeah, interesting. Because that, that, that one's much more explicitly 
magical yeah, realist. Yeah, exactly. the, whole, the whole conceit is magical right. realist. Yeah. With this, it I was a little surprised at how um, low key and natural the magic stuff was. Um, it was very not super subtle, but it was definitely way more subtle than I was expecting, um, which is good. <laughs> we should talk about that. You should describe that element. I don't think we've really mentioned oh, yeah. it whatsoever, but fittingly enough, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Uxball has this presumable ability to see the dead to and also to, to speak to them and I guess to help them transition to the afterlife. Yeah. Sort of like ghost kind of, ghost kind of vibes, like kind the Patrick Swayze movie. It's like <laughs> that in like Sixth Sense, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it's also kind of like expanded upon later in the movie a little bit. Like when he when he first met his wife, he was like doing telepathy, like a telepathy kind of pickup way of, of meeting her. So they kind of allude that he kinda has telepathy with, with living people, but it's not really expanded upon. It's not very vague. Um and I, I like my magic stuff vague. Like I, I like when you like you set up some rules and limitations, but don't let that get in the way of the themes. I like that the the, the Thematically and, and tonally, the um, the kind of amorphous nature of, of his of his abilities, um, it it fits in yeah with with his characterization. It worked out well. Um, just kind of nibbling at around the edges of, yeah. of what he could do, and one extremely powerful aspect of that too, um, that was part of the the most tragic scene is the death scene, right? Yes. So, I forget the name of of the girl that Lily. I think. Lily. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's wild because he's there in the basement of the warehouse <laughs> and he can see like there's a several of the dead Chinese or immigrants are like on the ceiling, but not Lily. She, she's gone and he's like lamenting like he's like, I wanted to s tell yeah. her bye. But she had already gone on. Yeah, but she had already gone on, yeah. which is kind of like it's a little bit uplifting, like. It is, yeah, to some degree, it, it's that it's that negative, the negative projection of that of that despair because like she died in peace, um, relatively speaking, um, and she's at peace now. Um, but yeah, that that scene of like the the ghosts on the ceiling in the basement above him, um, and they're not in focus, and that that's such yeah. a, that's such a good choice. Like they're not really in focus; they're just in the background and they're moving slightly, but not not like in a, in your face creepy like um, like the ring kind of way. It just it was so effective and um, he knows they're there, but he's not scared by them because he's too overcome by grief. And that it was just so effective. Shit. I'm just thinking too, along those lines, um, we didn't really talk about the two other elements of that whole tragic scene is so he like tries to, rev he like grabs her and like carries her out. Yeah. He, he puts her in the car and tries to like slap her awake or something. Yeah. Um, and also her, her, baby is dead too which is and it, like the look hardcore. of the look of anguish on his face as he's like carrying her corpse yeah is just so so powerful and weirdly like the thing i could think of was like like this is anton chigurh like the, <laughs> the cold emotionless right. killer like Bardem, <laughs> just more kudos to Bardem. he just to snap from that to that oh, yeah. is like wild. i said in, in your you said he's like his face yes the, Javier's face can tell any story. Yeah, and just the 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 lines in his face, and he's like really sweaty in a lot of these scenes too, which is he wears it so well. On that note, too, it's like there's one scene where he's in the bathroom, I think, and his daughter comes up, and he like kind of like gives that anguished like, oh, uh, he's like, 
right. sits down and you can you just tell he's like in pain, in utter yeah. pain. Yeah. It was so good. Um, so there's that, but also the, so the Chinese guys that run the sweatshop dump the, all the body, <laughs> all the corpses yeah. in the ocean. Yeah. Um, and then they start like, but very, like not very far off and they all start to like wash up. And it causes like a media sensation. Yeah. yeah fittingly enough, it's just, yeah. Um, that, that image of like just the dead bodies and that it's a slow tracking shot. It just turns very, very slowly to the left. And like, it looks at the, the bright, happy lights of Barcelona right there. Um, yeah, that, that, that kind of image thematically sums up the class politics of this movie, I think. Yeah, well. which were quite quite good, and I'm curious, like, I don't know that much about Inaritu's politics or him. I feel like I know more about him now because I've just seen this movie. In general, like, I wonder how much of that is, you know what I mean? How much of it is aesthetic and right. how much it is because he uh, tries to embody that kind of thing? Because yeah. I don't think it's really something in his other films, maybe a little bit in... Um, and Amores Peros. I but I guess there is that kind of dichotomy as well, even in Babel, because mm. even though I've not seen all of the film, there's like part of it is Brad Pitt and um, what's her name? She's from Australia. Charlize Theron? No, Kate Blanchett. So they're like this rich family and they have a, I guess it's a, she'd be Mexican. She's like a Mexican nanny or something sure. like that and like the kids and her like somehow they get something gets fucked up and they're like trapped got it like uh, they're like lost on, in mexico on the border or some shit while they're like while brad pitt and kate blanchett are like in fucking afghanistan Interesting. or something crazy like yeah. that it's kind of similar in that way for sure i and i mean the kids i'm always conscious of like projecting my own politics onto right. yeah. art because like Especially like the, the the struggle with of poverty that can easily be incorporated into a neoliberal worldview, um, saying poverty is bad and right. it's bad that people are oppressed by it. That's as apolitical as you can get in yeah. some cases. Um, right. That's typical kind of bullshit. Yeah. So I'm wondering like how legit is Antifa in Rito? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we that that would be worth looking up and like doing some follow up um, on that, but. Either way, just the, the movie as it exists certainly lends itself to, to a more leftist read, for sure. Like, inarguably so. So you actually, you can find, <clears throat> I'll post this in the show notes too, but there's a interview podcast where Inuritu interviews uh, Quaron. Interesting. Because what was the movie Quaron just did? Um, Gravity? No, 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 no. Far more recent than that. It was uh, It was the black and white film uh, it came out maybe in the last year or two it had the uh, indigenous girl that was the star of the movie i don't know i can't, can't think of it right now but uh well roma yes yeah roma cool so they talk about that interesting yeah which is which is pretty cool and interesting to to hear them like two kind of titans of a film talking and they're both Mexican, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah. Um. So there is, because there is that element too of Uxbal. He's like, he's a hustler. Like he's got so many different methods of like trying to make ends meet, basically. And crucially, he he makes use of his abilities. He's got that gig economy. <laughs> he does. He's, he, he does. he's got his. He does. He's doing a little knockoff 
Louis Vuitton. <laughs> He's doing some like amateur uh, therapeutic Ghostbuster stuff. Like just he, yeah, he, he accepts cash for reading people's uh, deceased loved ones. So he's got he's got the boot the bootleg merch, bribing the beat cops. Um, the spiritual services thing, um, and I, he, I guess he's like partnering with the the head of the Chinese group. Oh yeah, um, to try to get them to be he 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 wants to lend out the the Chinese immigrants to work as construction non union construction workers specifically. Right, which I wanted to bring up to you actually because that's really illustrative as well and like the basically so yeah he's got the to get them out of the sweatshop they have this contractor who is Mm. building i guess it's not really spelled out what they're even building but they want they need laborers and they don't want to pay unions they don't want to pay unions fees oh man and they, and they mentioned like, oh, half these people don't even know, like they've never even seen a drill. Yeah, it, it's, right. It's like yeah. shoddy so. construction is, is looming. And um, but yeah, of course, I mean, like they're 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 pitted against each other rather than like the real enemy, which is capitalism, <laughs> of course. And something, too, on that note, um, this was also this like kind of work thing that I was talking about, uh, like there's a pretty robust uh like you know, there's still like that legacy of the Spanish Civil War in, mm-hmm. in Spain, and they take labor shit seriously. Yes, <laughs> seriously yes, there. Yes, and it was so. So like like that backdrop of cast casting this like union dispute and like this these poor dispossessed immigrants doing what they can that that certainly heightens the tension. What do you think the title? means i mean obviously there it's it's taken from that scene where it spells helping the children with their homework and they, they're asking like oh how do you spell beautiful and he spells it out phonetically um because because it is misspelled yeah for the title yeah yeah i don't know um that's a that's a really good question to th- to ponder on um yeah maybe it, it does have like there's an element of it has something to do with the, tra- the tragedy and seeing something beautiful in it or yeah and they they make a mention like the ring is so beautiful it's like this this motif that comes that pops in and out um of the story as like Bardem gets closer to and then distant from again his his ex-wife um and i mean it is beautifully shot that's a little like step that's a little like getting metatextual but like um it's beautifully shot and the, the music is really interesting and like beautifully chosen um and incorporated into the the tableau of of some of the scenes like like the the flocks of birds above his head scene um i think somebody says death is not the end maybe that's mm-hmm. an element of it and I, I guess that that, that kind of brings together my my the things I didn't like about the movie, it, it, it felt like it was like on the verge of saying, of like having this grand thesis statement, but like, it didn't really cohere all that much. Um, it almost felt like there were a a little too much going on. Like all all these things, like, Oh, the, the thing with his kids, the thing with his seeing dead people, the thing with his, his father being the specter of his past, the thing with all the different schemes that he has running, thing with um the ex-wife it, it was a lot and the movie juggles them admirably it was just like 
maybe like one too many things for it to really kind of come together in, in this this beautiful film um but yeah i i mean that's kind of an amorphous problem to have with a movie but like that 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 was the biggest thing that rubbed me the wrong way i don't know why this just reminded me but i wanted to talk about too the uh, significance of the son also mm. pissing himself and Uxball pissing himself. Yes, I did notice that too. And like the tie-in to like there's obviously like the parallel between Uxball and his father and Mateo and Uxball. And the son even repeats that line from the beginning about the owls puking up. Yes. Whatever, I forget what it was. They, they throw up a hairball right before they die, I think. And it's at the same time that they're talking about his father escaping Franco and, and passing away in Mexico. Yeah, and um, Uxbal clearly has like abandonment issues because of his father, and he he, he definitely over is too strict with both the kids uh, at one point or another. Um, and also, he he wants to differentiate himself from the mother, who he sees as like just completely responsible, and, and she is to some degree. Um, so yeah, I, I imagine that's very much on the forefront of his mind, and um, the kid. The Mateo, the younger kid, he pees himself just because he's a little kid and he's still learning to be potty trained. Whereas Uxbell's peeing himself because he can't hold it in because he, he's dying. He's deathly sick. Um, so like the reasons behind those and like I got the sense that the kid was a little afraid of Uxbell to the point where he shouldn't have been. And I'm sure that kind of makes him more nervous and that makes him pee more. So like th there's a correlation there between why they why they would soil themselves. And then one last thing is uh I don't know if you caught this. You probably did because you're an observant guy. Is <laughs> that he sees himself on the ceiling? Yes. Yes. At the end, um, yeah, he sees right his, he, his own ghost right before he dies. Yeah. And it, it was that that made me think, like, okay, the 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 Senegalese woman really isn't back. Like, yeah, it, it, it's a little. You. This this is like bleak and like horrifying, and you're seeing your your, your own ghost dissipate, and it's that that's what made me think, like, maybe he was hallucinating her. Like, his brain was telling him that. But yeah, I think that uh, that kind of sums up all the the details that I wanted to hit on the movie. Other than just, I think, on this viewing, maybe it was my state of mind, but I, I didn't cry at the all right the the tragic deaths of of the, yeah. <laughs> the Chinese immigrants didn't hit me as hard. Yeah, and I mean, as, you, had, it you had and you had already like seen it. Yeah, a I mean, I've seen it a few times, but still, like that scene was. I still, I mean. I saw this in 2010, like 10 years yeah. ago. <laughs> I still remember that. Yeah. I mean, just like it was devastating in, in the theater and I'm like legit cried. Yeah. I can, like, I, I don't usually cry at movies. Um, so like, I, I'm not, I'm not, oh, I'm so manly. I don't cry at movies, but like, it, it just doesn't, it's, it's not something I, that expresses that way. But like, I, I probably would if, if I'm the type, if I were the type to do that for sure. Um, yeah, like that, that's such like a, like a, it was very literary, like the idea of like trying to do good and you do something good, but you can't do too much good because of your circumstances. And then that it all comes to ruin. It, it was like very, it was like this tragic plot twist of a book. Um, and I mean, I mean that admir like admire, uh, admiringly so. Kind of tonally reminded me a little bit of The Leftovers. I've never watched The Leftovers, but I've heard nothing but good things. Because it does have that like, very like it's very emotionally 
heavy, but there's like this certain like glimmer of a hopefulness to mm. it as well. Yeah, it's almost like hope hopefulness by implication. If if you read between the lines, and yeah, there's there's that. But I think this movie is, I think it's highly underrated. Yeah, I think it's highly underrated. I, and I, if you, I, it's definitely a ch- probably one of the more challenging films to watch. Yeah. That I've, that I've done on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I am going to geek, geek out a bit. I will say this is making me even more excited for the Dune adaptation because Bardem as Stilgar. Oh, yeah. And oh, like, he's going to be amazing. Like, like he's the, the perfect, yes, perfect cast. Yes. And then like I was already on board because I knew Old Country, but like because he with, it, it's so good because like with Old Country, he can have the stoicism of the Fremen, but like the Fremen that too, they, they do give water to the dead sometimes. And they, they do have this intense grief of like being the dispossessed of the universe, living, living in the worst planet, the worst parts of the worst planet. So like th- those, those two dual cores of emotion in one character oh, yeah. is going to be still good. He's, he's going to crush it. Yeah. I'm very confident. But yeah, uh, I'm looking in the next, uh, it's weird that the next in film is like a short, and he doesn't really have any, at least not on IMDb. Like the nothing like an upcoming is, project? Yeah, yeah, he's. I think there's a short film, but nothing big on the horizon. At least, like I said, according to IMDb. Glancing really quickly here at Wikipedia. Yeah, his most recent film was 2017. Um, it, it was a short called uh, Flesh and Sand. Before that, before that was Revenant in 2015. Re- Revenant, which, which also actually, I forgot to mention this too, but I think... Revenant also has a very tiny nod towards this uh, element of magical realism as well. Okay. Is it when Leo fucks the bear? <laughs> <laughs> There's a, it's that church. There's like an old burnout I, church. I've never seen Revenant. Um, but yeah, there's like kind of some religious tones and imagery in there that I, I think kind of taps on to some other kind of larger yeah. magical realism i'd be interested to read about inritu's um his spirituality or his faith because um so the, there's the three amigos of mexico the the three contemporary biggest mexican filmmakers inritu carrion and del toro um and one of the things del toro says he's like oh i i was i grew up catholic and i'm not catholic anymore but in a sense once you're catholic you're, you're catholic, catholic for the rest of your life and um there's a lot of spiritualist stuff in beautiful so like I wonder, yeah, and, and it's kind of against the backdrop of like Spain, which is a very Catholic country traditionally. Um, so there's that tension there. Yeah, I, I wonder like what his own personal, if he's ever spoken about that. So in, I I know that in Mexico culturally, like yeah, you have the Spanish influences obviously huge, but there's also this weird like occultic type. Yeah, remnant. Yeah. Um, which which is in Mexico there. as well. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, more so Mexico than I think. I, I'm not sure what the Spanish, the Muertos, Day of the Dead stuff. Um, And there's, there's, oh, yeah, there's that. They have like the witches, they're like brujeria is what it's called. Yeah. And they have that, um, that kind of like shadow Jungian figure to Mary who it's like, it's like the blessed dead virgin or something. It's like the skeleton. It's, it's like a skeleton face. It's it's like Mary with a skeleton face. And it's like the, the woman who watches over the, the dead, the deceased, the diseased, the, the lepers of society, the cast outs. Um, And she, she's like more popular than Mary in a lot of sections, like the poorer sections of Mexico. Um, kind of like this reversion to more traditional indigenous spirituality, um, but with a Catholic flavor, which is really crazy. Yeah. Uh, 
it's good to do a movie that's in, in, entirely in Spanish, but yeah. also like a Mexican director because I just have mad respect for Mexico. I think Mexico mm-hmm. just gets unfairly shit on. But I mean, Mex- in life, Mex- yeah. yeah, I mean, general, yeah. or no, just like imper- like everybody looks down on Mexico, but yep. Mexico is that's they're fucking great people. Yeah, they're fucking awesome. Yeah, they need to get more shine. They need to get more respect. <laughs> they do. They more they, fucking respect. More more respect for Mexico. Um, I, and that's like the idea of like Mexican cinematography. I just mentioned the whole Three Amigos thing, but like, um, it would be interesting to like do do a little dive into more contemporary. I mean more independent like mexican filmmakers um it's 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 a subject i know next to nothing on i mean i've been to i've been to juarez i've been to Mm. nuevo laredo i've been to fucking where i feel like i'm missing out on another place that i've been i've I've been to like three or four of the border towns and then i've been to cancun of course which is totally different (laughs) (laughs) i've only ever passed through mexico like on, on a flight somewhere else i think I think we stopped in Mexico City for all of two hours, but um, I've, never, I've never been to Mexico. I've always wanted to go to Mexico City and see like the fucking Aztec ruins. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, no, it, it's 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 a it's a cool, strange culture. Like it, it's kind of first world, but also third world at the same time. G- going by like standard kind of ignorant American usages of, of those terms, but um, it, it's like it's very peaceful and very violent at the same time, especially to like us gringos, like that's how we see it. And, um, it, it, it is like central America because like, like we have the United States right above us and then we have South America right beneath it. And it, um, I, I think it occupies that space in a lot of people's like their associations of what they think of as South America versus North America. Yeah. Mexico is kind of like the halfway point in, in the, in that mental calculus. Yeah. There's kind of like, it's kind of like this, uh, liminal, blended zone of liminal's a good word yes kind of gradient from central and south america yeah to the u.s but uh yeah any any other last thoughts about the film or um in your in general it yeah it like i said it it makes me want to look at more of his thing more of his non-birdman things more more so than birdman did um and bardem is just i i i had never disliked him but he was just like oh that's another good actor but like i get why he's why he has the stature that he does now based on this performance yeah i mean it's always funny because hollywood or the academy rewards a filmmaker like this with on their movie that's not even their best movie yeah (laughs) because he he won for the revenant right no he won for um Oh, maybe he did actually. I think you're right. <laughs> I think he won back to back best pictures uh, for The Revenant and Birdman. I know he definitely won it for Birdman. So for Revenant, um, it was nominated. It was for nominated sure, for best picture and best, didn't win. best supporting actor Tom Hardy. It won best director um, for Inaritu, best actor for DiCaprio, and best cinematography. So that's Revenant, and I, I do know Birdman won Best Picture. Yeah, I think um, he won Best Director too. Maybe is why I'm thinking he won back to back. It won the Academy Award for Best Picture, along with Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Cinematography. Nice. Those like the four big ones. That's like <laughs> that being shot, and both of those were shot by El Chivo. Yes, as yeah. well. Who? 
actually shot another movie that I mentioned to you. He mm. shot The New World. Yeah, that was that was one of the options we we were going to do for this episode, and or, and we should because I'm definitely interested at that now, at, like knowing that now too that he shot that. Oh, it's it's a beautiful. <laughs> it's like, that was not I didn't even do that intentionally I really didn't for a second I'm like why are you laughing and then I got a yes yes it's nice um, but yeah like you were saying it, it's long you were saying yeah that's fine I can I can get down with a beautiful long movie and it's Malik too it's like yeah you know I don't know if you you know his movies can be kind of a slog I think yeah. I mean I think he does better whenever it's a like at least some semblance of a plot structure. Sure. As opposed to just kind of meandering bullshit that I, I, I feel like the last several he's done have just been like, just like tree of life. Aimless. I can't, yeah. I can't fuck with it, man. <laughs> okay. And I mean, I, I can't get into that kind of thing. I just, I have to be in the right headspace yeah. for it. I do like, I mean, I like an art house movie, but yeah. it's like, it's gotta have, I don't know. It's gotta be in the right lane. Yeah, for sure. For me to really enjoy it. For sure. But, uh, shit, Let's uh, go ahead. You got to plug your podcast. Oh yeah, and uh, all your social media shit. Yeah. So um, on Twitter, I'm at Stellar Bohr, um, S T E L L A R B O O R, um, and I host a podcast called The Proletarian Contrarian. Um, Twitter is at Proletarian C. Um, we're also on Instagram and Facebook and shit. You can just find it. Um, I host it with my friend Lewis. We talk about um, we find bad movies try to find the good things in those bad movies um, through a leftist uh, lens of criticism and analysis. Uh, we have fun. We have a lot of uh, guests, guest reviewers for various episodes. Uh, Coop has been on one where we do Dune. Go check that one out. Um, and yeah, we have a few other lefty mid-range people on Twitter that we're, we're going to be invited on soon. Um, yeah, look us up. But this will be Machinic Unconscious Happy Hour with Cooper nice. Cherry, and uh, we're signing off for the week. See you next time. The very Adios. Of, <laughs> of Including the ultimate form of security, which is
as in uh, clockwork orange.